This is episode 34 in 2024. Here in the Choir Room Podcast, I'm Greg Thomas, your host, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. Dorian Johnson and Mietta Stanza Farrar, along with our guest contributor today, gifted musician, singer, songwriter, composer, and choir director, Dr. Scott Cumberbatch. So here we are in the first episode of 2024. This is episode 34, and we're excited about some of the changes that are coming in this podcast and some of the programs and services that will be coming through Metro Music and Arts. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, episode 33, make sure you go check that out and you'll get more information about that. Now we take a moment to remind our regular listeners and those of you who are tuning in for the first time that this podcast exists to promote and encourage two longtime traditions in our society that seem to be dwindling away, and that is choir and corporate singing. And we hope to revive the excitement and joy experienced with singing in a choir, as well as inform and educate the listener on all things singing and all things choir. This podcast is a production of Metro Music and Arts, whose purpose is to perpetuate and promote the Christian and positive idea through the medium of music and other arts. Now, here at the Choir Room, we need you to do us a favor if you haven't done so already. We ask you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and then give us a thumbs up, along with your comments and suggestions. We certainly welcome them, and many of them are going to be implemented in this new year. Engage in the conversation in the Choir Room Facebook page. And then finally, share with your choir friends, your choir directors, your choir musicians, that you're in the choir room. Here's Dorian with the Hymn of the Week. Thank you, Greg. Uh, Once again, we are turning to our Hymn of the Week. And this week's Hymn of the Week is a question. The question is, and can it be that I should gain? This hymn was written by Charles Wesley upon his conversion in 1738 and was one of the first of over 6,500 hymns that he is credited with writing. And we will indeed uh, visit a number of his hymns um, in the coming weeks. The title of the hymn, when it was officially published, was Free Grace and extensively draws from scripture to describe the wonders of the great salvation that he was granted through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hymn begins with the question that is the title of the hymn, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? And the question is, should I gain from the Savior's shed blood. And then the second line of the first verse says, died he for me who caused his pain. Again, acknowledging that the very one who caused the pain for this Savior was the one for whom the Savior died. And then he goes even further and says, for me who him to death pursued. So not only did we cause Christ's death, but we pursued him to the very death that brought us salvation. And then the final two lines of this first verse are the famous refrain of this hymn. 
which says, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? 1 John 4, 9-10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sins. The second verse points us to the mystery of the incarnation of Christ. It says, "'Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design?" When we think of the fact that Christ, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one through whom all things were created, that he took upon himself a human nature and went to the cross and died in a physical death, it is very strange. And it's the mystery of our salvation. And, and Wesley goes on and says in the second verse, in vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. What love for the eternal Son of God to set aside the glories of heaven and to come and humbly walk as a man and then to go and to die the death of a vile criminal. Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angel minds inquire no more. Verse 3 points to Christ's humiliation. He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. And then some renderings of the hymn say, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. The version that I typically sing says this, humbled himself so great his love and bled for all his chosen race. Because indeed, while Christ did take upon himself a human nature, he never stopped being God. He was fully God and fully man. And so even as he walked upon this earth, he was still the one who was keeping all of the planets and the stars in orbit. He was the one possessing all of the attributes of divinity and yet humbling himself to the point of, of experiencing the limitations of a man. And he went to the cross and died for his people. Verse 3 ends, "'Tis mercy all immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me." In verse 4, Wesley alludes to various scenes in the New Testament where apostles were freed from, from prison and, and likens it to his own liberation from sin. Verse 4 says, "'Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. We remember the Apostle Peter when he was miraculously freed from prison. We remember Paul and Silas in the midnight hour singing and praising God and the earthquake opening that prison for them. And we who have experienced the salvation of God know what it means to be freed from the penalty and the power of sin. And as we end this hymn, 
we see the joyous strains of those who are in Christ when he says, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we can draw near to the throne of grace in confidence, seeking and receiving mercy and grace to help in time of need. Indeed, this hymn which is written about the, the testimony of, of the conversion and, and all that God did for this man in, in saving him is the testimony of every Christian. And as he exclaims in the chorus, so we should as well. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? our guest contributor for today, Dr. Scott Cumberbatch. My dear friend, thank you for your yes. Grateful for the invitation. Always glad to be a part of conversation with you, sir. And the feeling is mutual. Um, we've received two or three emails over the past year wondering, when are you going to have Scott on? When are you going to have Scott on? And so uh, uh, <laughs> we're glad to finally get wow. you here on the podcast. And we'll hold you while we got you to participate in the CRQ. Okay. <laughs> Now, some of our listeners will know who you are, but a good number of them won't. And so let's take a few moments to enlighten them on who the Scott Cumberbatch that we know actually is. And of course, we we have a history together from uh, the same community, from the same circle of friends and same circle of colleagues in ministry. So why don't you tell our listeners when and how it started for you in music and choir and in some of the other areas of the arts that you've been involved in? So my days of music go all the way back to my childhood. Um, and while it might not seem that long ago, it was 30 plus years ago, 34 years ago, actually. Um, my mother has been a musician and minister music for my church for over 60 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I sat alongside her and witnessed what she was doing. Um, but outside of the church realm, I was an actor. And being a professional actor took me not only to the stage as an actor, but also brought me in front of people as a singer, as a musician, um, working with larger companies, dealing with music, specifically on Broadway stages, um, and even doing voiceovers uh, musically, uh, specifically the Kraft Macaroni and Cheese, the Blue Box Blues, as we called it. Oh, yeah, um, I, I was that. one of the kids that sang on that. Um, I did the Hess Truck commercial, singing background for uh, three seasons for that. Um, I did Burger King. I sang on that. So music has always been a part of my life. Um, and so for my formative years, uh, though I didn't do any formal music lessons, uh, much to many people's chagrin, including my mom, um, she put me on lessons for one year. It didn't last because I was bored out of my mind. And I think the end all be all was me getting to um, this was at the age of three, but me getting to the final concert and they handed me a triangle to play after she had paid <laughs> more than two thousand dollars for me to take piano lessons. Um, they put me on the stage to play a triangle and I was yeah fit to be tied. Uh, so I literally did not want to do anything else when it came to that. Um, not knowing what God had planned for me, not knowing that I would sit down at the piano one night while she was working night school at the high school where she worked, which I currently uh, work at. 
um, and sit down and just start playing. And my grandfather heard me and I didn't know anything different. I just sat down and started playing. And he told her the next morning, like, before you go to work, you got to hear this boy play. And she's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and she comes out of the bathroom and I'm playing Jesus Loves Me on the piano. Um, and what happens to still be my favorite key, F sharp. Um, and I'm playing <laughs> that's it. That's so funny because that's the same key I started in. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but it wasn't literally just playing like one note. I was actually playing little chords here and there. Um, and she, we talk about it. Um, and we've talked about it many times before where it just seemed like this was something that God had ordained. Um, and I truly believe that. I truly believe that he has ordained me to do everything that I've done. Um, from education to um, the the degrees that I've gotten to all the people that I've been able to work with um, in music, as well as in acting, as well as in education. Uh, literally, God has ordained all of it to happen. Mm-hmm. And I take none of it for granted, um, but I'm thankful for all of it. And I truly try to take all of the experiences that I've had over these last 38 years um, and put that into everything that I do. Every time I sit at an instrument, every time I stand in front of a choir, every time I sit at my desk as an administrator in education, uh, even when I was standing in front of my class teaching English. And yes, I'm an English. I was an English teacher, not a music teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to let you say that. I, a lot of people who hear Dr. Scott Cumberbatch assume on this podcast that you taught music. That I taught music. Right. <laughs> and though you were an English teacher and still am, you were still a music teacher and still are, even though you weren't one officially with the school system. Yes, I was an English teacher with a piano in my classroom. Well, there you <laughs> the go. The piano so was always in my classroom. You were an unofficial music instructor at, uh, at, right. the, school, <laughs> at the school because mm-hmm. even the students knew you from the community. They knew of you. Uh, they right. heard you. They, they They would hear you in school when I guess you would play on your break. You had a piano there, so it had to be used. Exactly. And also was the advisor for the gospel choir. There was music going on in my classroom at all times. (laughs) I bet. Let's talk a little bit about the acting. Uh, I saw you in Bad Boys. Uh, Tell us how that transpired. Bad Boys 1 and 2. Yeah. So so you had a little role there. Uh, And it wasn't musical. No, it was was a role nonetheless. Yes, sir. I played uh, Martin's son in both of those. Martin's oldest Uh son. Uh-huh. Now, when you consider all of these opportunities, the acting, the teaching, the uh, community choir, the church choir, all of the other things that you've done, though these disciplines are significantly different from each other, how do you see them having come together and have taught you lessons that still carry with the Scott that we know? From beginning to end, um, I will say that it taught me dedication. Um, not to just say I'm going to do something, but to actually follow through with what I'm going to do. Um, it gave me a different level of professionalism in that um, I take everything that I do seriously. And I truly make sure that everybody that I work with, they understand that if you ask me to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. If I can't do it like you want it right now, give me a few minutes and I'll get it to where it needs to be. Um, it also taught me all of the experiences, taught me accountability to know that whether I'm the person that's performing or if I'm the person that's leading or both at the same time, I'm always going to be accountable for my actions. And if I'm responsible for leading others, I'm going to make sure that they understand what accountability is too. We can't give 50%. We got to give hundred percent at all times. If you're unable to give hundred percent, at least be honorable enough to step up and say, I can't do that. Um, and maybe you want to find someone else. There's no love lost, but again, 
it shows that there needs to be accountability. Um, even with dealing with my choirs now, uh, whether it be the church choir, my state choir, my home church choir, uh, the choir that I just formed and recorded with, whatever the case is, um, the first thing that it always starts with is prayer to understand that we need to bring our minds and our hearts together um, and that we've only got one mission. And that mission is to minister to God and to his people. Um, it's his job to speak through us, to sing through us and all that stuff. We just got to be willing and open vessels. Um, and the experiences that I had uh, with Broadway, I think that really gave me the understanding of taking care of my instrument um, and not just the one that I play, but even in my voice and my uh, vocal folds and all of that, taking care of them, not overexerting myself, making sure that I understand what rest is. Um, not just going to sleep at night, but actually just resting, not talking, not overworking, um, making sure that I'm properly hydrated. Um, so all of these things help to play a major role into what I've become. Um, and I still sit back sometimes and think about some of the things that I learned that I don't always implement um, and say, OK, I need to make this change. I need to make that change ever growing, ever evolving. Yeah. And we don't ever grow or evolve without the help of others. There are people who have influenced you in your professional career, in your your music and ministry career. Tell us a bit about those influences and influencers. Well, I laugh about it. Um, I'll start with the acting, then I'll go to the music. So the acting side, that kind of just happened. Um, that one year that I was in the music program, I was the Yamaha music program. Um, here in New Jersey, in Paramus, New Jersey, um, there was a young man that was an actor. Um, he actually was on the show Who's the Boss. Um, he was adopted later on. And if you ever watched the Cosby show, um, his name was Jonathan. And he had the froggy voice that Dr. Cosby always used to make fun of. Um, he and I went to piano lessons together. And his mother said to my mother, your kid's got a great personality. I think that he should really try out for this. And my mother's like, yeah, right. Of course, the stories that we all heard were Gary Coleman and the different strokes kids and all the stuff they went through and uh, how they went left and it could have gone right. Um, and so she's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And my godmother was the one that convinced her to let me do that. Um, so when it came to that, literally, it was just kind of like, okay, I auditioned for a role. I saw what they wanted and just gave them what they asked for. Uh, to the best of my ability and 14 and a half years i did commercials i did movies i did broadway um i did a couple actors equity workshops um i did like i said the voiceovers so it was literally just again god's hand in all of it because i didn't take any formal acting lessons either um i just i'm that that personality i guess um i try not to be a chameleon but if i have to be i will be um to a certain extent i'm not giving up my values <laughs> to get a role um when it came to music it, it like I said, it starts right at home. Uh, my mother, um, I sat next to her and was plunking here and there on the piano and she would hit my hand. Don't do that. And teaching me here and there. And then it went from me playing one hand to two hands and then moving over just a little bit more. And she ended up directing the choir now not playing anymore. And I'm playing for the choir. And now she's in a state of fully retired and doesn't want to play at all. <laughs> um, but she does play. Um, for lack of a better word, sporadically, um, she does play still. Well, you know, for you to be playing and her to be directing, that had to be a, the dynamic duo. And then when the church decided to buy an organ, then she was on the piano. I was on the organ. Um, so we were able to do that. At one point, I had my keyboards at the church. Uh, so, yeah, it was, yeah, for a good 15 years. 
Um, that was prophetic. That was what we did at, at the church. Um, and then also I had um, another young lady who has now uh, passed away, but she was the minister of music at the time of Ebenezer Baptist in Englewood, Margaret Gales. Um, it was because of her that my music went a little bit further. Um, I She heard me playing at a service and was like, yeah, I need him to come and play for the church because she wanted me to play for the youth choir. Youth choirs, because that church actually had three youth choirs, um, different ages. And so I went in with her and she was the one that really forced me into learning to read music. Um, when I was in grammar school, I took on the alto saxophone for a hot spell. And of course, with that, you had to read music. And so I was doing a little bit here and there, but she came to me, we were preparing for Easter and she decided that she was going to do, surely he has borne our grief from the Messiah. And she said, now I played it for the last couple of years. You're playing it this year. And I was like, no, I'm not. She said, yes, you are. I said it, here's the music. And she walked away. And I'm like, oh Lord, I have two months to prepare. And of course, looking for anybody that's never looked at sheet music before or never looked at that kind of sheet music before, it was like trying to read trigonometry. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. Um, and then when I flipped the page, I was like, okay, I just went from math to Greek. I really don't know what this <laughs> is. Um, and so it, it literally, little by little, little by little, I was taking it and I learned it. Um, and then it pushed me into learning to sight read even more and focusing on that. So she was a major influence there. Um, of course, Reverend Edward Fairley was another major influence that both of us share. Um, and again, I don't really talk about it often, but Greg, even you were a major influence because I mm. sat back and I watched and I listened to what you did. Um, for those of you that have never heard him play, for those that are listening to this, um, he was Patterson's Richard Smallwood to me. Um, Smallwood was always one of my icons from afar that I listened to. Smallwood, Hawkins, Crouch, James Cleveland. Those were like the four major people. But when you sat down, Greg, at a piano and just played, literally, I heard Richard Smallwood right in front of me. Um, and so I paid attention to that. I listened to a lot of what you did. I listened to what you did with vocals um, and how you would arrange different things. Some of the writing that you did. And it became a major part of my thinking in the way that I started um, even composing. Um, another person is Michael Butler. Um, and for a little bit, his dad, uh, Pastor William Butler, the late Pastor William Butler. Um, sure, but sure. Mike was the reason that I started writing. Um, he said to me when I started playing for the William Patterson Gospel Choir, he was like, there's composition in you. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm an English major and I'll be okay with that. I can write lyrics. I'm not trying to write any music. I'll play everybody else's music. I'm good with that. He was like, no, there's something else in you. And he didn't know that he was speaking in something into existence because literally a year later, I'm sitting in my car on campus waiting for class to start. And this song just starts playing in my head. And I was like, I got to write this down. I grabbed my notebook out of the back of the um, truck and I'm writing stuff down. I was like, I got to get to a practice room. And I ran to one of the practice rooms in Shea and the very first song, which is now a GIA public, um, published song, Praise You the Lord, was the very first song that I wrote in 2005. Um, and I played it back for him. And he's like, dude, we got to sing this. We, we got to do it. And I played it for the musicians. And they were like, we got to do it. I was like, really? Is that good? And they were like, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. 
the choir fell in love with it. He fell in love with it. Um, and so I was just, yeah. Um, then when it came to the organ itself, um, Elder Terrence Kitchings has been one of my major influences because the Hammond is not, it, it's not for the weak. <laughs> um, and so uh, listening to him and listening to um, Yetta's late stepmother, Elder Deborah Burgess, um, yeah. there's so many, uh, Elder Ray Hagens, there's so many people that came through this city. Um, when it came to playing traditional gospel, Professor Lloyd Reese, that was the man to listen to, to get yeah, that traditional yeah. sound, to know where to go, what to do with it. Um, yeah, so those were my hands-on influences, if you will. Yeah, that's awesome. So we, we've we've kind of drawn from the same well uh, yeah. in terms of, um, you know, that, that pool of people and all of them. You know, I, and so many of them I wish were still here because I think this generation... This generation uh, has no idea what they're they, missing they by not having them. They don't know. They don't know what what a choir is capable of when uh-huh. Ricky Burgess is standing in front of them. Or Gloria yeah. Moses is standing in, Gloria in front Moses. of them. Yeah. You know, they, they, they just don't they don't understand. And and, uh-huh. and that doesn't mean we don't have great ones today. I just right. think that uh we are a in level. a time and season in, in this generation where the emphasis is more about the individual and less about the collective. And so the full mm-hmm. potential of what a choir or singing aggregation can be is uh, being lost. Dorian? Scott, uh, thank you so much for uh, for being with us. Um, it, it's interesting because having worked with greg mm-hmm. um i heard sort of the same story of of a young kid sitting down at a piano and just starting to play and then you got you had the same <laughs> the same story and i yes, and sir. i know there are many people out there that hear that and go oh <laughs> I, I want to I do that i just want to sit down and, and start playing one day well, you got to go but, to church but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of them do. Believe yeah. me, there's one right here saying, <laughs> I wish I could just sit down and start playing. But I guess m- my question for you is, uh, yes, uh, and I believe God does give gifts to his people, but mm-hmm. what has, what then did you have to do in terms of working on that gift that you were given? And then I guess my second part of the question is, I did have the uh, opportunity to hear the, the ensemble <laughs> uh, that you led at the um, uh, at the choir anniversary that oh, yeah. uh, Vienna invited That's us right. to. That's right. And I have to say, it was it six people that were in that ensemble. And yeah, they, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, I only had like five or six that day. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, when they open their mouth. <laughs> I don't have any hair <laughs> and my hair flew back. <laughs> and so, and you, you talked about just not feeling as if that was a place you wanted to go either. And so can you just talk to us a little bit about how you went to developing your gift, whether it was playing piano, whether it was leading the leading a choir and getting the most out of people um, even if they don't necessarily think that they have any more to give. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Sure. Um, so for playing, um, it was literally just just keep doing it. Just keep playing. Um, 
And that's all I've ever done. I'm not that one that sits down at the piano or the organ and practices four and five hours a day. I've never been that person. Not that I'm not dedicated to it, um, but because of how keen my ear has always been. Um, and then, of course, reading music helped to develop that even the more. Um, I was able to just sit down and, for lack of a better, figure it out um, and make it make sense. Uh, make the chords what I heard. I literally played what I heard. Um, and even now, I still play what I hear. Um, trying not to take away from what the artistry is, as well as remembering that I'm the accompanist to the choir. I'm not overplaying them. I'm always going to live underneath where the choir is singing or where the soul was to singing. Um, as a director, it and uh, uh, yeah, a choir director and leader, it literally came from watching what others have done. Um, and I'm also a part of um, our national association, with, from which I am the um, minister of music now for the National Association of the Church of God. And I also am a part of the um, National Convention of Gospel Choirs and Choruses. So being in and Hampton, uh, Hampton University Ministers Conference at Organist Guild as well. So being in those spaces with others who are doing the same thing, um, I literally have just taken what other people have done. And as the old adage is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I've just emulated what I've seen others do um, with a heart for the people, with a heart for the purpose of what it is that we do and making sure, again, that it's all glorifying God. Um, choirs can be very difficult to deal with because you're dealing with multiple personalities simultaneously. Um, and that's the church choir, the community choir, the ensemble, the quartet, the trio, whatever. When there's more than one person and more than one personality, you're always going to deal with issues. Um, I do my best to be that person to help to solve the problems. I like solutions more than I like problems created um, because problems created just open up the door for more issues to come down the pike. Um, but I started leading all of my choirs with the premise of, okay, remember what Lucifer's job was and remember who he thought he was. We are not going to be that group of people that says, turn me up and turn my mic up. I can't hear myself in the mix, but we are going to be doing this as Psalm 133 says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. If we can't be unified, then we can't do this because then it's going to be a horrific mess. Um, but we all have to be on the same page, understanding that we're serving and singing for the same God for the same purpose. It's not about the awards. It's not about the accolades. It's not about the money. It's not about any of that. It's about pleasing yeah. God. Yeah. Let's leave the church choir for a moment and go to the college choir because you've had an opportunity to um, to work with the college choir as well, mm-hmm. uh, college gospel choir. And uh, I think sometimes we, we are winning more people than we realize yes, sir. because not always in a gospel choir at the school. Is everybody that's involved in that choir a necessarily a, a Christian? Some people just love gospel music, mm-hmm. and um, but you're winning more people sometimes than you realize. Very true. Talk to us a little bit about the difference in approach from church choir and college choir. Even though they're both gospel choirs, the approach can oftentimes uh, be different. What was your experience? So working with that choir. Working with that choir, um, like I said, when I went to William Patterson, Michael Butler was the person over the choir um, and he made me the musical director. So I was working with the band. Um, Thankfully, all of the musicians that we were working with at the time were um, church kids. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, my drummer, his father was a pastor. So 
literally i got a pk another church kid from um mm-hmm. that was on saxophone from alabama the bass player was a church kid right from patterson so we we had that commonality with those that were coming in to take the class for credit uh because it was an actual course it was a three credit course mm-hmm. Which you don't um, see we were, often. These you don't see anymore. that often, no. And yeah. believe it or not, the course was discontinued about 10 years ago. They're trying to revamp it and bring it back now. Um, and so they're trying to bring both of us back to work with it. I'm like, hey, that'll work. Um, but with that, one thing that uh, Mike did and I was always up for was not only did we have the time of, okay, let's learn, learn, learn. Let's learn these songs. Let's get ready for concerts. But he would do those midnight sessions and say, okay, we have rehearsal from 7 to 940 on Sunday, but now we're going to have just a powwow. We're going to sit and we're going to talk just to kind of see where people were, especially for those that Mm -hmm. were coming in just for credit. You could stay if you wanted to. You didn't have to. 99% of the time people stayed because they wanted to know what was going on because now it was more about becoming a family and a unit than it was just about getting up and singing music. Um, and one thing that he did that I actually have started to take the other choirs, we did a retreat every year. And that retreat was funded by the school. Uh, we would go off campus to um, a space up in the Poconos for three or four days, um, learning about the music. But then again, just having those sessions where we could mm-hmm. just sit and rap those fireside chats, those midnight chats um, with no TVs. The place that we went to was a resort um, that had no TVs. It had all the food we needed, had the beds that we needed. Um, and they took care of us. Um, we were able to minister to a whole lot of people. I mean, you had people that came in, one young lady who now is one of my dearest friends. Um, she came in, she was like, I came from church, but I also came from the streets and, and coming from the streets. Like she was ready to rap and do all of this stuff. She was a <laughs> vocal major, a classical vocal major. Um, and sis was rough. Now, I mean, we're talking about thanks to the relationship that, relationships that she built through the choir. We're talking about somebody that's an ordained minister in the church. Her voice is absolutely phenomenal. Um, she is a recording artist now. So it's all these things catapulted from her being connected to the William Patterson Gospel Choir. Um, so in seeing Mike do that, I took that when I went to arts. And like I said, I was the advisor for the Gospel Choir there. Um, and of course, in a school setting, thankfully, I had three principals um, that were all believers and they pretty much gave me freedom to do what we needed to do. So they didn't restrict us from, oh, you can't say Jesus. They were fine um, and they would deal with whatever they whatever backlash came. Most of the time, nothing came of it anyway. Um, but they knew that there was a family unit that was being created with that. Um, and I would talk to the kids like, listen, just because I'm your gospel choir advisor, even if you've never had me as a teacher, my door is always open to you. Come sit, talk to me. Um, who I didn't talk to about suicide, who I didn't talk to about mm. academic success, who I didn't talk to about um, even future plans, who I didn't talk to about teen pregnancy. I mean, I had a couple of kids that got pregnant while they were in high school. And I said to them, this is not the end. This doesn't have to be the end for you. You can still mm. go and grow and you can still do more. Um, and to this day, I've been gone from arts now for five years. Um, but some of these kids that graduated in 2008 and 2010, one of them um, actually sings in my choir now. Um, and he worked with me for three years when I was at Mount Calvary during the pandemic. I just happened to call him one night and said, Dad, I wish you were in town because he lived in Philadelphia. He was like, well, I happen to be here. What you need? 
And that one knee turned into three years consecutively, three years of him working with me over at Mount Calvary in the middle of the pandemic. Um, So I was able to build those relationships. But a lot of them even come back and say, now, had it not been for coming to Gospel Choir, they don't know what they would have done uh, because some of them lost parents while they were in high school. Some of them, their parents didn't care about them when they were in high school, after high school, and even still now. Um, some of them came from great homes, but their parents were like, well, they're in your possession. They're under your control and you take care of what you need to take care of. Um, and I appreciated that because, again, you don't have that old school parenting. If you go to school and you mess up, the teacher can only say but so much to you. We didn't have that. Thankfully, I didn't have that. Parents are like, no, do what you need to do. Um, and I was like, OK. Um, so, yeah, that approach, again, even helped me to understand that people are still people. And even though they're in the choir at church, they might still be dealing with the same issues. So now you got to look beyond the music and look at the people and sure. see what it is that the people need. Um, and those experiences between William Patterson and Artai really helped to cultivate that in me as a leader. Wonderful. You know, we say it often in this podcast that it is part the responsibility of the choir director or the music director to ensure that they are cultivating an environment of community and right. family yeah. amongst the choir, because that's what makes a strong, healthy choir, a choir that is attractive. Mm-hmm. So beyond the music and beyond the singing and the recording, what is it that you want people to walk away with after having worked with you or recorded with you or served with you? With a renewed understanding of what choir is, um, and an appreciation for the choir. Um, that's what we grew up with. We grew up with hearing choirs. I mean, from Sunday afternoon going to choir days to just visiting people's churches and hearing choirs, be they small or large, we just knew choir music. Um, and I want people to understand that, again, going back to that whole idea of it goes beyond the music. I believe it was Garden State. Um, they had, their theme has always been it's more than music it's a ministry um, and we can do so much more if we come together collectively understanding that it is a ministry um, whether in the secular realm or in the church it's still a ministry because people still have needs that we can minister to um, mm-hmm. no matter what and you really don't get to see those needs until you connect heart to heart yeah. and that's yeah. a real thing and I couldn't agree more In the background, you're listening to Be Still and Know by Dr. Scott Cumberbatch and the choir. And you can find that music and all of the other projects of his, Hymns from the Heart, 1 and 2, available anywhere you find good music. Scott, thanks again for joining us tonight and allowing us to peek into your ministry and into your musical life. And as I said earlier, because we have you now, we're going to hold you over for the CRQ and have you input on that as well. Sounds good. Mietta has our CRQ for the day. Thanks so much, Greg. Once again, this is the first CRQ of the year, of the new year. And so our CRQ this evening is this. Uh, Looking for gospel choir music. Any suggestions on where to find it? Now, we know this is the choir room. Um, Looking for gospel, gospel music. Any suggestions? Good gospel music. Any suggestions on where to find it? Um, reading that I, I had expressed uh, to Greg a few days ago that this, this question came about during during a conversation that I was having with a uh, fellow colleague in music ministry. And we were just talking about music and, and what's out today uh, versus what we've listened to growing up. 
And so, um, and I begin to say to them that, listen, I have started listening to choir music again. And I can thank Greg Thomas for that. Um, because, because of this choir room podcast, I had to go back and start listening again, because I have to say, be honest about it. I had stopped. Now I'm a gospel uh, music singer, right? But I had stopped listening to a lot of the gospel that we hear. Um, And so if I should put it on at all, if I should turn it on at all, it was usually something from 1980 something and down, (laughs) you know, so that's pretty much where I stayed. That was the vein in which I, every morning I was getting up. There was one song in particular that that would play in my house once a day. And this was going on for this almost a year now. And that's full and complete by, uh, uh, Walter, is that, mm-hmm. Wal- I'm not sure if it was Walter, yeah. Walter Hawkins. Yeah. We'll get the right brother, right. Walter Hawkins. Um, and that plays once a day every week. So when they, when you start to talk to me about good choir, choir music, I immediately go back 20, 25 years. That's my first stop. Unfortunately, there has there, no, I won't say unfortunately, but fortunately there has been quite a bit of music from that time to this. Um, so I'm kind of feeling like uh, Coleman in this a uh, little bit, Greg, with context. Now, because this question did not specify what age group these choirs might be in the churches. I know Dorian is like, why do they have so many choirs? Oh, <laughs> I, 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 get, I get it. <laughs> I get it. You get it? OK. Oh, I so get we, it. we have so many. I I don't get it either. I I understand. I don't get it. But Uh, yeah, I I mean, we had quite a few. So when I was listening and and just kind of going over this question, um, I guess it depends on what the house needs. Um, I don't think that you should always pull from the top 40 for certain congregations. Um, Certain congregations, they just it doesn't it doesn't fit. Not all of the stuff that we listen to every day, our regular listening to, we could, they're good listening songs, but not necessarily the best fit for the church choir, um, which, you know, that happens with all of us. We, we, we have our favorites. We have our favorite songs that we love to listen to, but we know as a choir director, this might not, it might land flat in the congregation in which we serve in. So you have to be very careful in picking and choosing. Um, I, I said this once before. My father was notorious for, you know, at the time we had LPs, the records, you know, you had the side A and side B. And, mm-hmm. you know, the hot song was usually on side A. Right. But the jewels, the gems were on the B side that right. nobody was singing. But and I, and I have to say, Bible Way, because that was my biggest musical inf- influence. A lot of the songs that Bible Way sang back in that time came from the B side of the record. And people were trying to figure out, where'd you get that? Where'd you find that? How are y'all singing it and nobody else is singing it? Well, if you turn the record over, you turn it over, there it is. And they're like, we would never have thought to do that. See? <laughs> and you see, you see what happened. So, you know, don't just assume that just because they're playing it on the radio, that this is going to be the best fit for the church. So that's why this this question, I'm going to toss it to you. Wise gentlemen, <laughs> you all wise gentlemen. So, gentlemen, 
What say you? Well, I want to tap into that. Um, so there's a few parts that I want to tap into. So you talk about going back to that era. Um, and I know that word was used on you earlier this <laughs> me at, uh, about uh, a certain era <laughs> that you represent. But um, I'm still trying to recover. <laughs> but trying to recover. Uh, even in thinking about that, um, that era of music from the 60s to the early 90s, when you talk about going from Andre Crouch to the Hawkins brothers to Smallwood to Thomas Whitfield to the Tommies to uh, there's so many choirs institutional over in New York to the Bible way recording choir. Uh, there's so many choirs. And of course, James Cleveland with GMWA, they recorded every year. So every year there was a conference, there was a new recording coming out. Um, and I think I'm like your late dad. I was always, I'm always that person that finds the jewels on the project and it may not necessarily be the song that you hear on the radio, but it's just that song that stands out because there's something about the lyrics that stand out or there's something about the lyrics and the way the lyrics are married to the melody that stands out that I feel like will fit. Um, but yes, I definitely agree on picking stuff that fits the house. Um, in serving in the last church where I was for eight years, uh, my assistant minister of music was one who liked to follow the top 40. And I said, well, define what the top 40 is. And then like six months later, I said, well, define what the top 40 is. And the definition changed. I said, and this is the problem. Are we looking at what's being played on the radio or are we looking at what's going to minister to the people? The church where we were had a large uh, conglomeration of traditional loving people so for us to go and pull out the latest ricky dillard song might not necessarily be the best thing even though i had a few voices that could do it i knew all of my voices couldn't do it because i had seasoned saints that were beyond the, like into their 70s and some older than that i didn't want to push them but if i gave them something like going reaching back to 84 to all in his hand that ministered to them or reaching back to douglas miller would pass me not that ministered to them and you would see the folks jumping up or even going into the 90s with order my steps. The folks are jumping up and they're singing or singing. There is no way. Million choirs have re-recorded that song, but that song goes back to the 80s with the Tommies. Like that song is almost as old as I am, literally almost as old as I am. Um, so, again, you got to know what fits. And I think a lot of the artists now, a lot of the recording artists now have figured out that in their template, They've got to add one song that's already been recorded somewhere because they know that's going to grab the people. So you want to keep introducing new stuff on your project, but you got to get that one classic. If you go back and grab that one classic, um, and that's something that somebody pointed out to me about us with our recording. Like we did a lot of old, I mean, a lot of new stuff, a lot of new stuff, a lot of new stuff. But I went back and I pulled out Stretch Out from Institutional and I pulled Dr. Margaret DeRose, Give Me a Clean Heart. The moment that I said we're going to sing just a few minutes of the old classic song written by Dr. Margaret Pleasant DeRoe that just says, give me a clean heart. The church was ready to go up then. I'm like, we didn't even say anything yet. <laughs> um, but again, it ministered. And this was, these were people of all ages. So like you said before, me, like somebody prayed for me. You got to think about that. Somebody did pray for us because if they hadn't prayed for us, where would we have been? Uh, with some of the stuff and some of the people that we hung out with, some of the people we went to school with, it could have been anything. I mean, just getting behind the wheel of a car and driving somewhere. Thank God somebody prayed for us because we got behind that wheel driving at all kind of crazy speeds and anything could have happened. But we made it home safely. 
we made it to our destination safely because somebody was praying for us. Um, and so I, I always warn all choir directors, all ministers of music, musicians, when you're choosing songs, make sure that they are gospel and not just inspirational because the gospel is never going to fade away. The Bible tells you that the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will forever stand. So as long as you're singing Bible, it's never going to go out of style and you can be that innovative person and take it and update it if you want to just a little bit. Of course, don't steal away from what the um, composer gave, but maybe just add a little twist here and there if you want to just update it to make it sound a little bit more contemporary. Uh, but that's always my suggestion. Just make sure that you're paying attention to the lyrics and make sure that you're paying attention to the house. I was going to say, I mean, there are plenty of places you can look, but I, I'm going to go back to something Scott said. I mean, we have to get back to where we're evaluating the songs that we're singing and comparing them to the word of God. Um, because it, we are in a time where where truth people are trying to redefine truth and and say what what truth is but we know that that the bible is the only truth. ultimate truth, and yeah, so yeah. the ultimate truth um and so if we are going to have any kind of lasting ministry it has to be founded on based on rooted in grounded in the word of god and so as you're evaluating songs to sing my advice would be where can you find though not necessarily even those words but those principles that concept all of those things where can you find that in in the bible yeah. um yeah. because that's that's ultimately it's it's the word of god that impacts people's hearts it's the word of god that that changes people that convicts people that uh conforms them to the to the image of christ and so that's mm -hmm. that would be my advice for folks as they're thinking about music music to sing yeah i think the mere mention of uh you know because the question was where can we find good gospel music for choir the, the mere mention of gospel connotes that this is probably a, a church choir um or somebody asking on behalf of a church choir um but to our previous conversation with God with regards to the college choir. Uh, I don't want to assume that the person asking the question is not a college choir, gospel choir person um, <laughs> looking for music for their gospel choir in their school. Now I, I want to point out something because as Scott was speaking about his um, uh, influences, but it triggered something in me and I had to walk away and, and pick up something. Now our uh, listeners can't see this, but, you guys can see this. Take a look at this. I'm going to do something here. Uh, you can't just go out and and do this anymore. You can't find that right there. Yes, sir. You see what that is? Yes, sir. Church of Love. That's, prof that's Professor, Professor Lloyd Reese right there. Yep. <laughs> now, that's the B-side. And mm -hmm. notice what's highlighted on the B-side. The one song that everybody, at least in in the local church community, Lord, I'm running, was Lord, I'm running. Yes, sir. <laughs> Trying to make a hundred. Yes, sir. Right, ninety nine and a half and won't do. do. That was the staple, uh, and I just happened to have this over. I got hundreds of them. Wow. But I happened to have wow. this one on the top because I was trying a new LP a few weeks ago, uh, but it didn't stop there. 
This is the LP from the first recording that I ever attended. Uh, now, for our audience, again, I'm holding up for them to see uh, LPs. These are albums, vinyl uh, LPs, long play. <laughs> now, now, this was the first recording, live recording that I had ever attended. And this was my choir director at the time. Yep. William Keebler Hardy, Gilmore Memorial Tabernacle. One of the finest choirs in the area. And believe it or not, that's available now on Apple Music because really? I have it. Well, I got the LP. Yeah. And the sleeve. Yeah, yeah I do too. It's right, it's right over here. <laughs> well, well, this is how we used to find new music mm -hmm. uh, for choir. You heard a song on the radio or two. Uh, if you're lucky, you heard two from one project. But usually it was just one that the label was pushing yeah. or the industry was pushing. And you had to buy the entire album. You couldn't you couldn't select the track. You had to buy the whole thing. Now, obviously, today that's a lot different and a lot easier. You can buy single tracks if you hear a song that you like. There's a lot more access, but there's also a lot more music. And so mm -hmm. uh, between Apple Music and Spotify, Amazon Music, and all of the other services out there, in addition to you, YouTube, mm -hmm. um, you're going to have to spend some time finding music that fits your group. Um, and so you almost have to know what kind of music you're looking for. And I don't mean in terms of genre. If you're looking for gospel music, as this writer stated, uh, then you have to almost know what what style of gospel music you're looking for. Right. And then you have to go into this exhaustive search. Um, you can take the top 40 approach and listen to what's, what's uh, you know, most popular today. Or if you want to do the B side and we, we talk about the B side, that's the stuff that's a little less popular, which I love because I realize that there's a lot more jewels on the B side of a project oh. or, or the songs that the industry is not pushing uh, that are great songs. And so if you want your, choir to be a trend setter and not just a trend follower where your choir is sounding like every other choir i suggest you do a search for gospel choir music and then when you start to see the top 40 the more popular artists i suggest you skip those and start to explore more independent artists uh -huh. because you're going to find music that may not be mainstream in terms of the industry but yeah certainly music that is hitting the mark. It's got the gospel message. It's got the vibe and it can be executed well by your choir. My Lord. And then there's that. <laughs> now, whether you get music from online or whether you get it from attending a conference, which is another place where you can always find new material, great material, go to some of the gospel music conferences. Uh, Scott mentioned a few of them earlier. And if you can't get to some of the national conventions or conferences, then look for some of the workshops and seminars that are happening in your area. But there is a lot of music out there that is not being heard on radio. And, and because we are inundated with so much music today online, you're going to have to do some searching, but be specific on what you're looking for. And I think that'll cut down on the time you spend looking for new music. Now, we've all said it here today, and we say it often in this podcast, Dorian hit on it. If you're looking for gospel music for your choir, then you have to make sure that it has the gospel in it. I'd like to say it this way. Make sure that your song is laced and lined with the gospel of truth. Thanks again, Dorian and Mietta. And of course, to our guest contributor, Scott Cumberbatch. And remember, friends, if ever we put the messenger before the message, we have failed to present an unblemished gospel. I'm Greg Thomas. Join us again next week right here in the choir room.